Well, good morning. We're having our own Zoot Suit Riot this morning. I hope it woke you up and you are ready to go this uh, Veterans Day weekend as we uh, continue our series on Taylor Made. And if you're new with us today, it's really been a series about how we customize and tailor our approach to serving people. And you feel validated, you feel encouraged, you feel affirmed when other people tailor their approach to you and imagine how you can bring that kind of joy and love into other people's life when you do the same for them. And speaking of that, today is a special day where on Sundays all over the the world we like to recognize our veterans. And so one of our tailored approaches to say thank you for those who are serving or family members who are serving. So if you are here who have served or you have family members who serve and you don't mind, it's not embarrassing, you don't have to, if you don't want, if you want to raise your hand, we'd love to just cheer for you and celebrate your family, family members. Can we thank you for uh, all those? Thank you for your family and all the ways that uh, you're fighting for our freedoms. Thank you. In fact, let me take a moment and just pray for all those who are currently in service for our freedom today. Father. Thank you for those who are willing to put their lives on the line so that we can have freedom today. We are often take it for granted, Father, but we thank you for the reminder for all of those who, uh, who care that deeply about us and our country. Father, we ask you to keep them safe and continue to affirm them that they are doing one of the most noble of causes. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I said, we're in a series called Tailor Made, and part of that is, again, explain a little bit about how we serve other people and how we do that as a church. We've likened our church to coming into a tailor and you first check out the merchandise. You're exploring what you might like, what might fit. You may not wear it. It may not be your taste. You're not sure if you even believe the things we believe as a church about Jesus, God, or the Bible, but you want to check it out, not be bothered. Then there might become a time you're ready to connect. You're ready to maybe step up and say, hey, somebody want to... even get up in my personal close space and show me how this belief, this Bible you believe in might be irrelevant to my life. You begin to maybe open up a bit and explain some of the needs you have, some of the ways in which maybe the Bible could be relevant to you as a husband or a wife or as a leader. And you're open to being curious about maybe connecting with someone who might show how they've taken these beliefs that you're not sure you believe yet or will ever believe, but what does it look like lived out? Maybe they help you look in the mirror and begin to look at areas of your life that you maybe want to re-examine or bring more purpose or legacy into. Exploring environments and connecting environments. And then maybe there comes a time you're ready to try something on. I want to try on that belief. I want to try on that habit. I want to try on that idea. And you step into the dressing room and you maybe try something on. That someone would help you be equipped to be the kind of leader that you want to be and to trust God the way you want to be or learn how to pray in a way you never have before. And we recognize that all of us are at different places in our spiritual journey. And it's very, very individualized. Your next step is not my next step. But for many of us, we take one step at a time in our journey through finding purpose and meaning in our life. And this isn't success when we arrive here. Success is when we invest back in helping other people equip themselves, when we help other people connect and find what they need in their lives, and when we help other people explore their curiosities and their skepticism. And that's what we do as a church. We create exploring environments, connecting environments, and equipping environments. And it's always amazing to me because every week as staff, we come together and we just tell stories of people who just step into these environments and God begins to work in their life. And so a few uh, months ago, we recorded Matt's story. And Matt's going to talk about how each of these environments at our church began to bring relevance to his life. It wasn't just something he did on Sunday. 
was something that began to bring purpose and meaning and legacy into everything he did. I'd love for you to hear his story today. Let's watch. My name is Matthew Motes. Um, I guess I've been coming to Horizon for, uh, for about seven years now. The first thing I, I went to, which was probably a really good thing for me, was to when Ken Kingston came, him being a comedian and just like the group of guys that were there, and uh, it was a it was a, a really nice a nice thing for me to to get to, and it, it helped me to uh, get a little more involved in in the church. My son came to us, and you know, seven years old. Uh, after church one day, he says, "I want to get baptized," and Dina and I were both kind of blown away by that. Um, you know, it's such a young age, and he was really steadfast in, in wanting to do this, and it, it really touched me, um, and it's the reason I, after he was baptized, I wanted to, too. For 10 or 15 years, I was, I was running a business, um, and I decided to sell that business. Uh, one of the decisions there was that we, I wasn't really part of the, the family. I was gone all the time. I was working all the time, and did a career change. My wife also did a career change, and um, you know, we. I decided that you know to slow down a little bit, and starting to, you know when we were coming here, uh, I decided to get baptized, and I I started talking to God in a in a different way. I started reading the Bible, um, and I feel like I'm getting a, a closer relationship with the Lord, closer to me, and it's not just this thing that I'm, I'm praying out into nowhere. I feel like I'm having, uh, building a relationship with Christ. I have a Bible sitting out at home that, I, that I've been reading, and uh, my, my family's starting to say things like, are you reading the Bible? And it's uh, kind of a <laughs> surprise to my kids and my wife that you know, they've never seen me do that before. And, I, um, and, they, and my wife even said she's proud of me for going to the Bible studies and the different things that I'm getting involved with in the church here. I feel like becoming more involved and in, in starting to read the Bible has um, made it more than just a thing that I would come here on Sunday. It, it, um, I'm, I'm thinking about it during the week. I'm reading the Bible during the week. I'm uh, letting it become more of a daily thing than just I'm coming on Sundays and I walk away and, and I don't think about it again all week. It's, a, it's become a daily thing where I pray. I'm, strengthening that relationship with Christ on a daily basis. I love Matt's story because it's how did this book that I didn't even touch for years become relevant to everyday life? And you might be a place you're like, listen, I'm not sure the Bible's relevant at all, but you see it begin to manifest in somebody else's life. Look how it impacted his family and his marriage and his work and his priorities and the joy that was coming out of Matt and is coming out of Matt. Say, man, I don't know if I believe what you believe, but I want some of what it's producing in your life. That's why as a church, we have a kind of a core values that drive what we do. And one of those is culturally relevant. That when you come, that this stuff applies to your life, that, that you can apply it in your life. You saw him mention lots of stuff. Things were done with excellence. I got to connect. It impacted my family. My life got transformed. Somebody was helping me out in the process. When we come to church, we want things to be relevant. Our vision statement for our children's ministry is a place where children drag their parents to church. That's our goal. 
that is so relevant, it is so fun, that you can't help but be compelled to be involved in it. And the same thing is true for today. Why does, do we come each week and with music we hope you like and music we hope you've, you've heard or can relate to and, and messages and stories, we want this to be relevant to where you live. As we try and comfortably connect you to God and a community, friends, a community of, of growing Christ followers in the Bible that we have found has just transformed our life and we think it can do the same thing for you as well. That's what we're about as a church. And so today I want to talk about relevant environments. And I want to give you a, kind of a unique definition on relevant environments. Because when you're in one, you recognize it. The person on the, uh, on the other end is eager to understand your needs. I mean, just eager. Like, wow, they can't wait to figure out your needs and then tailor their service to you. You ever had somebody like that? Somebody who's truly eager, not to push their agenda, but truly eager to understand your needs and to tailorize, personalize their service to you. Good parenting feels like that. Those moments our parents did things right, they really understood us, they really listened to us. Those moments as parents, we feel like we're doing it right. We're not just pushing our agenda, but we're really understanding our kids and we're maybe tailoring our service. One child needs more structure, the other needs less. One needs more encouragement, the other needs more maybe respect. And we tailor our parenting because we understand the needs of each one of our kids uniquely. Strategic leadership says that, right? I'm eager to understand what's going on over here in this department. They're kind of mad at each other, and this department's mad at each other. Let me understand because I'm eager to help tailor what's going on and how we can come together to serve each other and to serve our customers. Doesn't mean it's always nice, right? Because sometimes you had a coach who, you know, he challenged you and, and she pushed you and she maybe drew something out of you you didn't see before. But they saw something in you. They understood that you were capable of far more than you were. And they tailored the amount of structure and the amount of challenge into your life to bring the best out of you. And you look back and say, man, I felt so loved and so cared for because someone made the coaching, made the leading, made the mission of the organization, made our family so relevant to my life. And today we're going to hear a, a story, it's a true story in history of a man named Paul, a leader of the early church. He's been mentored by a guy named Barnabas for many years, and now he is going to have an opportunity to talk to two people, a guy named Felix, who's a Roman leader in charge of that whole area of the Middle East, and then another guy named Festus. And these two guys are very, very radically different. And you're going to see Paul tailorize his approach to Felix, very different from Festus. Let me give you a couple of details about Felix. Felix is a scoundrel. In fact, Nero, the emperor, will eventually kick him out of his job and almost kill him because he's always stirring up trouble in the area the Romans are trying to calm down in Jerusalem. He would stir up the, the Jewish leaders, they would rebel, then he would send the soldiers in to quench the rebellion, and really, they would just plunder them. So it was a way that he would make money, stir up trouble in the area he's supposed to keep calm, and then send in soldiers to calm him down and steal more money for himself. A little bit about him, he has a, a wife who's religious. He was a former slave turned Roman governor. He's cruel, corrupt, but he's got some degree of Jewish background or exposure to religion. So Paul's gonna tailorize his approach to that reality. And the things he does and doesn't do speak to Felix. Well, Felix almost loses his head by Nero. Nero replaces him with a guy named Festus. 
Festus comes in to fix this disaster that he's in charge of. And Josephus, the historian, tells us that he is fair, he is firm, he's evidence-based, he's reasonable, but he also is trying to quench all the religious leaders in, in Jerusalem who want Paul dead, and yet Paul's a Roman citizen with certain protections, and he is right in the middle of this political fight and this religious fight, and quite frankly, he just wants things calmed down so Nero doesn't take his head. He's very unfamiliar with Judaism and religion, so Paul is not going to speak religiously to him. And Paul is going to make the message of his life in Jesus relevant to both of these guys, but totally tailored approaches. Now, the Bible isn't just a story, it's history. These are real people in history. In fact, archaeologists have found that Paul is being held in prison at the story we're in here today in a place called Caesarea Maritime. I got a chance to visit there a couple years ago, and it is amazing. Let me show you a couple pictures. When you go out to this port, this port was built 6 BC by Herod the Great. Monstrous port. The ruins even today you can see on the right-hand side, gigantic theater. Every day you had a comedy and you had a tragedy. You could go and see a theater was built there, thousands of people. You had a hippodrome, which we'll see in just a second. As you zoom into that little arrow, this is where Paul is being held in a prison. And he's being tried by both Felix and Festus for whether or not he and the message of Jesus ultimately is good for society or bad for society. As you zoom in a little bit closer past the Hippodrome, you'll see these are the actual locations they dug up and found the area that was the jail he was being held in, in this major metropolis, in this major city. But it's one thing to see a photo. Let me, let me take you kind of on site there on video. Because when you're there, it's just amazing to imagine being there in Paul's day and you can hear the laughter coming from the theater, the tears during the tragedy. Just outside of where he's held in prison is a hippodrome where the Olympics races would be going on just outside his door. See it coming up? In fact, that's where they filmed uh, some of the scenes from Ben-Hur, the movie, years ago. Right in this actual location, in this actual port city where Paul was all day long hearing all of that going on, he's right in the middle of history in the making. And it's into that he's got to make the Bible relevant to powerful people in a powerful place. That's exactly what he does. He's eager, eager to contextualize his message to the needs of those around him. So let's start with this guy named Felix. What does Felix need more than anything? Felix has never met a real Christian. He's heard about them from a distance. He's heard that they cause trouble. He's heard that everything about the Christians and the, and the people following Judaism just cause headache for him. So he has a caricature of religious people based on some facts, but it's basically a caricature. And relevance for Festus, or Felix rather, is coming face to face with a real Christian, find out, are they really dumb? Have they really committed a lobotomy? Do they really just cause trouble? Do, the, do these people, if I meet one up close, do they really just magnify the caricature I already have in my mind? And Paul is going to make the message of Jesus relevant by coming against his caricatures. It's a quick story before I show you what he did. About 15, 20 years ago, I was in a small group of several teachers, and the teachers would invite me to come to their classroom and speak on career day. What does it mean to be a pastor? And so I'd often come to a sixth grade class or an eighth grade class, and on career day, I was allowed to present for a few minutes, and I would say, well, I'm a pastor, 
And part of my job is to help people get to know God. And if you want to help people get to know God, you need to know God yourself. So let me tell you how to know God. And you can kind of start the process of your own journey if you want to feel called into, into being a pastor. I said, before we begin, I said, tell me a little bit. When you think of a pastor, what do you think of? So what do you think they said that day? When you think of a pastor, what do you think of? And I walked up to the dry erase board. Any guesses? Big Bible, that was the first one. They're always carrying around a big Bible. That was the first thing I heard. Almost every year I did this. Big Bible they're carrying around. And they're always got it in their hands. So here's, they're carrying their Bible. I said, all right, tell me a little bit more about a pastor. So they carry around giant Bibles all the time. I said, what else do you know about them? And without a doubt, it didn't matter if it was 6th grade, ninth grade, 12th grade, they're always pointing their finger and shaming people. <laughs> Some version of that is what always came out. So their other hand is always like, you know, one finger pointed at you, telling you what you're doing wrong, wagging it at you. This is what pastors do. <laughs> so I said, well, what, else? what else are pastors like? And I like, well, they're always wearing a giant cross. Oh, yeah, those giant crosses. So we got, we got and sometimes depending on what, background, they, they got the little white square, you know, painted on their collar, and then they got a giant cross around their neck. And, and so I'm drawing this thing with them, like, all right, okay, we're kind of getting it. I said, what else do I need to know about pastors? Oh, they're always wearing a tie. Okay, they're always wearing a tie, depending on where you grew up. Always wearing a tie. And what else? I said, I said, are they happy? Oh, no, they're angry. They're always at church yelling about something. And so I'm, I'm drawing this, this pastor, and he's really, really angry pastor, look at how mad he is, this pastor right here, oh my goodness, all right, and then sometimes when televangelists are big, they're like always asking for money, oh yeah, they're always trying to get my money, you know, here's a big dollar bill, it's all about the bottom dollar judging, so I drew and all these different characteristics came out, and I said, uh, I said, now, do I look like that? There's always some smart aleck in the back. Yeah, you do! Shut you little weasel. Uh, so <laughs> I said, wow. I said, no wonder no one wants to know God or go into ministry it's like, or, or become a pastor. Who'd want to be that guy? And I think Festus in one sense, Felix rather, has the same thing. He's just had caricatures of religious people. Uh, he doesn't even, they're not even called Christians yet. They're called followers of the way. And he's like, I've never seen one up close. I don't think I want to see one up close. They just cause disputes and problems all over the empire. And I bet you for you, you've had some caricatures. And I bet you yours are a little different. Maybe if you're a Christian, you have to believe X, Y, and Z about politics. Or you have to do X, Y, and Z about blah, blah, blah. And you have to judge these people and not like that people. You've got all these caricatures based on maybe a little bit of truth or a little bit of hearsay. And what Paul's going to do with Felix is to show how relevant the Bible is in coming against these caricatures. Let me show you how he sews this together. Let me jump back to the passage here. So Paul is talking now to Felix, first time he's ever met. They're there in Caesarea Maritime. He says, inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation. So he's very respectful. I know you're the judge here. I know you're in charge here. I know you know what's going on around here. Paul says, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to get a chance to explain to you what I really believe, not for you to hear a story of a story of a story of a story. And me, Felix, like, this guy seems happy. Cheerfully. He seems reasonable. He seems respectful. That's not the caricature I had. 
He said, by the way, here's the facts, Felix. No one found me in the temple disputing with anyone. I wasn't there causing a riot, nor did anyone find me inciting the crowd, either in a synagogue or the city. And they begin to dialogue, and, and he begins to hear a real Christian talk about his real story. And all of a sudden, Paul is going to sew together three things. Reason, the rewards of being a Christian, even if you don't believe it, there's some good rewards, and something real. And immediately, Felix is like, man, this is not what I thought he was. He's cheerful, he's respectful. And, and you can see Felix almost as he's listening, taking a step, right? He's taken that step in the journey. He's gone from a caricature of Christianity to getting to know a real one, a f- not a friend yet, but someone that he's intrigued by. Just by seeing something real. One of the most powerful things we do as parents, one of the most powerful things we do as followers of Jesus is when we get around other people who don't believe the way we do and they discover that we are caring and loving that we care about other people. It's not about us, it's not about judging. If anything, we think they're probably better people than we are. Our message says that we kind of screw stuff up all the time. And they sense humility in us and forgiveness in us. He goes on, he begins to sew together, what is this really all about, this Christian thing? And it can be easy to be confused about Christianity. Is it about politics? Is it about, is it about what people you like or don't like or people you disagree with? And Paul says, let me tell you what my message is really all about. Nor can they prove the things they're accusing me of. That's just all sideways energy. According to the way, that's what they called themselves at the time, the way of Jesus. According to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of my fathers. And I have hope in God. I got to tell you, the message I have, it brings me so much hope and so much joy and so much cheer. He's kind of selling the benefits of this thing. The benefits of what thing? He says, that there will be a resurrection of the dead. We believe that God came to earth, he died, rose himself from the dead, and by putting our trust in him, we have hope that when we die, and we're all gonna die one day, Felix, we can know for sure we're going to heaven in peace with God. In fact, that motivates me, he says, I strive to actually not have disputes with people. I strive to have a conscience clear toward God and man. To, to, to settle, to, to be a peacemaker whenever I can. You gotta imagine Felix like, well, this is not the caricature I thought. And it's becoming relevant, not because of some incredible argument, but just because it's so different. You mean Christianity is not about, you know, fighting the Jewish people, it's about whether or not a guy rose from the dead? Yeah. And for many of, many of you, maybe as you come to our church, that's what you're starting to experience. Something real, but also something like about resurrection. Felix has taken this step, like one step, huh, here's a real person. Second step, I got this confusion about what Christianity is. You're telling me it's primarily about Jesus' resurrection? Yeah, that's what it's primarily about. Huh, who would have thought? And he gives one more thing. He starts to kind of argue the different rewards. Like, why would you want to be a Christian? Well, I've got hope in God. It brings me a lot of cheer. Then he goes on and says he reasoned with them didn't yell at them, didn't finger point at them, didn't judge them, didn't talk down to them. He just reasoned with him. This verb is used over and over as Christians explain their conclusions. I'm, let me, can we reason together? There are some things that this message has brought in my life, a sense of righteousness, a self-control when I need it, and a, a confidence that when I stand at the judgment to come, man, I'm going to know I can stand with God. And this Roman curator 
leader, irreligious, is so intrigued by how relevant Paul is making this. It says, when I have a convenient time, I'm going to call for you again. I want to talk more about this. I don't believe it, but this is intriguing to me. There's something about the conversation that had him lean into the conversation. And he's got an ulterior motive. Look what it says. He also hoped that Paul might hand him a little bit of money because he's used to being bribed so he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him often to converse, partly to hear the message and partly to see, is he going to bribe me? And Paul never does. Paul's integrity of not bribing him speaks volumes to a man who's bribed and stolen his entire life. I don't know about you, but maybe you're on one end and you've had a caricature of Christianity and you've never had somebody without ulterior motives trying to serve you well. And you've come across somebody who had a a marriage or they had a parenting style or they had a a way they, they interacted with people who disagreed with them that was gracious and humble and kind. You said, tell me more about that. And they said, well, it actually has something to do with my belief in God. No, don't tell me about that. Tell me about how you did it. Well, it actually has to do with what God did for me is why I do this. That's why as a church, we, without ulterior motives, want to serve people well. Let me give an example. So I just did a wedding last weekend for a friend of mine. And I became his friend about, I don't know, seven years ago. Didn't know him. He's been attending our church. He would call himself an agnostic. I get a call from his daughter. She's in her 20s. She says, hey, my parents are going through a divorce. And, yeah, one's a Christian, one's not. And I'm just trying to decide, should I have a relationship with my dad? My dad doesn't believe in God. He's an agnostic. What do you think? And I said, well, I think the Bible talks about building friendships with with people regardless of their beliefs. And the Bible speaks about the importance of honoring your father and your mother, not your religious father and your irreligious mother, your father and mother regardless of what they believe. So I would just encourage you, divorce is messy, it's difficult, but have a relationship with your dad. Didn't think much of it, didn't even know her very well at the time. Fast forward about four months, guy walks in the door and introduces himself to me. He says, hey, my name's Bill, it's nice to meet you. I said, well, Bill, it's nice to meet you. He says, I'm not really a religious person at all, but I decided to come to your church today. Well, great, why, welcome. Did anybody invite you? Yes, you did. I said, what do you mean? He said, you talked to my daughter several months ago in the middle of a time of conflict, and you encouraged her to keep a relationship with me even though I don't believe what you believe. And that meant so much to me. I went, I'm going to come in the door. And that's why he started coming. I had him on stage one time during our hot seat series. He asked me lots of his questions. So I get a call from my friend Bill about two months ago. He says, Chad, would you be willing to do my wedding? He's getting remarried. I said, well, tell me, uh, what do you need? He goes, well, we don't want a religious ceremony because my wife and I are not religious, as you know, and she's even more not religious than I am. Would you do a non-religious wedding ceremony? (laughs) Sure. Tell me what you want, what you need, and I'm going to try. So I'd never done one before, but I'm like, you know what? If I can be part of celebrating some folks and their desire to commit to one another, I'm all in. So we sat together, and, and he's very much a, a red state constitutionalist, and she's very much a blue state progressive. And I'm like, man, you guys are like doing what America can't figure out how to do. How do you build interstate uh, pathways between blue state people and red state people? I said, you know, this, I want to be here for this. And so we're planning out the wedding. He says, hey, what if you did lots of jokes about kind of you know, political jokes at the very beginning? <laughs> no, no. I said, because the jokes you're going to think are funny, she's going to be offended by her friends and vice versa. Not doing any political jokes. 
And so we're, we're planning the ceremony, and, and I drove out to Indianapolis uh, last Saturday, about three hours to the ceremony and came back so I could speak here last Sunday. And they said, we really want this to be fun. It's our family gathering. And so I said, well, like, what if we create a, a bingo game with they like go hiking called hikes and all the different areas of bingo are things that you guys like doing together. And it was like 50 people in the room. It was everybody in the room. So I led the time of games and hikes. And, and he's a, a fisherman. So I researched a fisherman's knot. And there's a, a ceremony done 100 years ago where fishermen would come together and they would tie a knot on the string of their bride and vice versa. And the two pull the knot tight and the knots squeeze into each other. And the tighter you pull, the bigger the bond. And so I... I kind of invented this ceremony for them, and we just had the best time laughing together and celebrating together and celebrating their commitment to one another. So I was on my way home, he called me up a couple days ago. He said, Chad, my wife and I have decided we're gonna come to your church. He goes, I've been coming, but I didn't think my wife would go to church. She goes, after what I experienced this weekend, I wanna go to that guy's church, and so do all my non-attending church friends. Why? Because they felt cared for, probably met a genuine Christian who cared about them and could have fun together and laugh together. Somebody who was eager to meet their needs and to tailor their service to them. Well, that's in my industry. The same thing is true the way you serve, your customer service, your leadership, the way you care for people, the way you handle uh, conflict with one another. It's powerful how that can meet people where they are and they, they're drawn to, tell me more about that. That's not what I thought it was. A couple weeks ago in our children's program, they were telling a story about a family. Our children's ministry had discovered a family whose one of their children were going in for surgery. It just happened to be on a Facebook post. This person brings lots of friends to our church. They had lots of, of uh, people in the registry registered to their name because it was their kids plus other kids' friends. And our children's team kind of deduced which child it was that was doing the surgery and just sent a, some flowers to their house. The next week, the, the, the mom, I wasn't there, but mom walked in to our children's program and says, I want to know who sent me flowers. And so they pointed and they pointed and they pointed. And so eventually, uh, she, no one wanted to take responsibility. Yeah, just all of us did. We all wanted to. Eventually, they, they, they blamed uh, C.R. Strong, our children's pastor. She did it. And this mom threw her arms around Sierra and said, this, this challenge we've been going through, needing to go to surgery and these things, it's been going on for months. And you know, I haven't gotten flowers from any friends or any family members. But I got them from the church, and it meant so much to me that you guys knew about it, you cared about it, and somebody sent me flowers. And just kind of, those kind of hugs that kind of hang for a while, tailored, relevant, meeting of people's needs. So that's Felix. Now, Festus. <laughs> This guy, again, fair, reasonable, strong, uh, not really religious, and he just wants to kind of keep things calmed down, and Paul takes a totally different approach with him, a tailored approach with him. He needs questions answered. Can you take the questions I have and make it relevant to my life? That's exactly what Paul does. Paul steps in, so a little background here. Um, <laughs> Felix gets kicked out because he keeps causing problems. And now Festus is down in Jerusalem, a Roman curator, a prefect. And so he's down in Jerusalem, and he's got to move his way up to Caesarea Maritime. So you already saw that location. So he's, he's down here talking to the Jewish leaders who want Paul killed, and he's got to keep them happy because that's his job, is to 
make things not blow up. But Paul's up here at Caesarea Maritime. He's gonna go up there to talk to Paul. But the religious leaders, they're asking Paul to come to see them in Jerusalem because they've got an ambush and they're trying to kill him. So Festus is smart enough to recognize the case they have against him isn't real strong. They also recognize that they're probably gonna ambush him. So instead, he does this amazing jujitsu. He says, tell you what, I'm not gonna bring Paul here, but you can come in our private Roman caravan together. So these Jewish leaders who hated Paul, they, who used to be Paul's group, by the way, they all go with him and they take this private tour up to the Caesarea Maritime. So he's kind of made some favor with them and he has not put Paul in a place he's going to get killed and turned into a martyr. So Festus is pretty sharp. He's now stepped in. Felix is still there, even though he's lost his job. And Festus steps in and he's now talking to Paul for the first time. And look how Paul makes his story relevant to this firm, questioning, truth-based, evidence-based leader. Here's what happens in the story. First, we find out about his questions. When there had been many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king. I'm not going to get in trouble for this. King uh, Festus, you take over here. There's a certain man left a prisoner by Felix about whom the chief priests asking for a judgment against him. He needs an opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charges against him. The accusers have some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died and Paul affirmed to be alive. It's like, what? All of this dispute is about whether or not a guy died and came back from the life? I see. I got some questions about that. But he at least knows what the main message of the Bible is about. Was there a guy named Jesus? Did he die? And did he come back from the life? Emperor Nero has just put this guy in charge, Festus, to get to the bottom of that question. And Paul is going to again sew together some things. He's going to sew together truth, evidence, boldness, and conviction. Here's what he does first. He sews together truth. Here's a guy who has questions. Let me give you some evidence and truth. Now, as he thus made his defense, he's defending, he's giving evidence. Let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you the evidence for it. Festus said with a loud voice after his long defense, here's the evidence, here's what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened, this is so great. Festus turns and says, Paul, you are beside yourself. Your much learning has driven you mad. So this doesn't look like it's going well. <laughs> this, is, this is not the response you want after a speech. And he says, again, Paul, master philosopher, writer of probably the most important philosophical books that have changed history. He says, no, I'm not mad. I'm being reasonable. I am not mad, most noble Festus. I'm speaking words of truth and reason. This is what happened. This is what I, where I was. Here's the eyewitnesses you can talk to. You can look into this. Festus is like, I thought this was religious stuff. No, no, this is historical stuff that happened in Jerusalem that you're in charge of just a few years ago. You can go talk to the witnesses to see whether Jesus died and rose from the dead. So he does. And again, you see Festus begin to take a step. Well, I thought Christians, you know, kind of lobotomy to be a Christian. He takes a step. No, truth and reason. Huh. What's Paul do next? Next slide. Paul sews together boldness and conviction. Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul, are you willing to go to Jerusalem? There be judged before me concerning these things. He's going to get ambushed. Paul says, I'm going to stand at Caesar's judgment seat. As a Roman citizen, you could appeal to the Supreme Court, basically. That's what he's doing. I don't want to be, go to Jerusalem where I get, get ambushed. I'm going to appeal to go to Rome. 
To the Jews I've done no wrong, as you well know, for I, if I'm an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I don't object to dying. Now, if you're a Roman, one of the most important things to a Roman is honor and your ability to face death in battle. There's something about the boldness of Paul. You know I did anything wrong. You can check out the facts it's not true. What I'm saying and what they're saying about me isn't true. And by the way, if I did deserve death, I would take it because I don't object to dying if I did something wrong. And I'm not afraid of death because I know the guy that's going to raise me from the dead. Huh. But if there is nothing in these things which these men accuse me of, and you know there isn't, no one can deliver them to me. Therefore, I appeal to Caesar. And here again, you see Festus just struck by Paul. Struck by his evidence, takes a step. His truth, his claim to truth, his boldness. This isn't some weak, weenie Christian that I've heard about. Man, this guy is strong. He's got a backbone. He's got truth. He starts taking steps in his journey. Some of us on our journey, we need a lot more evidence. We don't need to be just served well. We need evidence. We got tough questions and real questions we need answers for. Got a guy in our church who reached out to me about a month ago, and he said, I got a guy from high school who's probably the smartest irreligious person I know. Would you be willing to dialogue with him? And so I have. I've been talking with him for about a month on Facebook. If you scroll through our dialogue, your finger will get worn out from 800, 900 pages. We've gone back and forth on does God exist, the problem of evil, does the Bible support slavery, and on and on and on and on and on. And as we've been dialoguing back and forth, he'll say things like, I just wish we could have a public debate. I'm like, listen, I'm not here to public debate you, where you're going to want to get points in front of your friends, or I'm going to want to get points in front of my friends. I'm here to serve you if I can. You ask for a reasonable, intelligent Christian to answer your legitimate questions. That's all I'm trying to do. If it's helpful, I want to do it. All right, let's keep talking. And he just sent me, after literally 600 pages of, of messaging back and forth, he said, Chad, You've convinced me, not that it's true, but you convinced me that there's benefits to this Jesus thing, that it's brought you hope and joy and a motivation to serve your child with autism and your motivation to serve and care for other people. You've also shared with me there's a difference between religious Christianity and what you call gospel-centered Christianity. I never knew the difference. I'm really mad at that one. So am I, by the way, and not this one. And we become friends. In fact, I told him next time in Indianapolis, we're going to have lunch together. Simply because I tried to serve him where he was. Maybe that's where you are. You've got a lot of questions. We do series all the time on those kind of issues. Here's a few from the past if you want to pull them up on our website. Pull up our app at Horizon CC. It's Horizon Space CC. One's called the Magical Mystery Tour. We cover all kinds of great questions. Science Friction, we did that one about know, 15 years ago now. Uh, Let's Be Rational, The Intellectual Pursuit of God, Seven Wonders, Exploring the World's Greatest Questions, Hot Seat, I had an atheist and an agnostic and a Buddhist and a guy from the Cincinnati Magazine and Cincinnati Inquirer, all just 40 minutes hit me up with questions for eight weeks in a row. CSI Religion, we actually brought in a Buddhist, uh, a, a rabbi, sounds like a joke, a Christian, a pastor, and they all just answered the same basic questions about life. Who are we? What's true? What's the problem in life? What's the solution? What happens when you die? And you find out these religions are very, very different. We're here to serve, to be relevant. And God's called all of us to be relevant to the people around us. By doing what? Creating relevant environments. And creating a relevant environment really means doing two things. 
would people watching me want to be like me? Right? As a Christian, are you living a life that you're inviting people into? Not a perfect life, a real life where you apologize and you're teachable and you're strong and you can come against fear. Would people watching your life want what you have? As a leader, do the people who watch you as a company, would they want what you have, the way you handle yourself, the way you, the joy you say you have, the wisdom you say you have? Are you living something that other people would be attracted to? Would people watching me want to be like me? As my kids got into their teenage years, I would ask that question. What percentage of what dad is living out, mom are living out, would you want to be your life? I remember my son said, probably 80%. I'm like, 80%? Oh my goodness. Hallelujah. 80%? Man, I'm doing God's hoping for 20. Because he'd seen me apologize to him many, many times when I fell short and losing my temper and say, hey, I lost my temper earlier. I want to talk about the issue, but I didn't handle it right. As a parent, are you living the life that your kids would even want as a boss, as a leader? See, people watching me want to be like me. After he talks, Paul's going to talk to another guy we'll look at next week. And Agrippa is going to be so taken by Paul. He says, you almost, almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul says, well, great. I I would to God that you would become a Christian. Uh, I love that. And look what he says, I would to God that not only you, but everyone who hear me might become like I am. Well, almost, except for, you know, these chains. <laughs> I want everybody to be like me, except maybe not in prison. He's got a sense of humor. He's got peace in the middle of jail. I mean, it's just striking. When you're under pressure, what comes out of you? Would people want to be like you? And number two, Do people know how to be like you? Do you take the time as a parent to explain, don't talk back to me, versus here's what you said that was disrespectful, here's the tone you used, here's how, here's what respectful looks like, here's what it looks like to disagree with dad respectfully, and we take the time to explain how to do things. See, the Christians will eventually be called Christians for a very interesting reason. The word Christians was actually a way to make fun of them. It was called little Jesuses. Look at those little Jesuses, those Christian-like people because they recognize that people were trying to be like Jesus. I, I wanna walk like him, I wanna talk like him. Is there something about your life that it's not just a way, they were called the way, but people began to say, no, no, we're not just falling away, we're trying to be like Jesus. The way he loves, the way he cares, the way he serves, that's what we wanna be like. And as a church, that's what I want for you. I wanna invite the band to come out to this next song. Very relevant song when it talks about what I wanna be like Jesus and walk like him and talk like him. Let me tell you one of the things we do as a church, as a band comes out, is one of the ways we give is using what we call the giving tree. It's right out there. It's a way that we, whether you believe what we believe about Jesus, God, or the Bible or not, it's a way we serve our community. And maybe you want to be part of making a difference here, near, and far in the next couple weeks. You go out and grab an ornament. Some of those ornaments are going to help you as we serve those in inter-parish ministries, a group we work with all year long. Because we want to we love like Jesus. Others are working with City Gospel. You're going to pick up another one of those ornaments, and maybe you'll end up mentoring someone downtown with once a month. You're going to buy a gift for them, and, and you'll know exactly what that gift is and when to bring it back. Because you say, you know, I want to walk like Jesus did, serving other people, being generous to other people. Next couple weeks, we're going to t- 
tie that with some of our, our work with Happy Church, some of our work with uh, Belize Partners, and some of our work with, with Back to Back. For the next four weeks, we want to be Christians, little Jesuses. We walk like him. We talk like him. We love like him. And we serve like him.